Hi friends, how are you today? That's good to hear, I'm glad. Unless you're having a bad day, then I'm sorry. My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. My theme song. Anyway, so if you're new here, every Monday I've been sitting down, doing my makeup, and then talking about a true crime story that is on my noggin. Today I want to talk about Robert Wan because his whole story is so suspicious, like the definition of suspicious. The people who did this, who are responsible for his death are out there because it's unsolved. Unsolved. This story gives me the creeps. It's creepy. <sighs> That's all I can say. There are a lot of people involved in this story. So I'm gonna try my best to keep it simple and like we don't get lost in this. So Robert was a fourth generation Chinese American born in New York City, okay? Growing up, he attended an all boys Catholic school and later he went on to college, majored in public policy in college is when he met Joseph Price. Now Joseph would turn into like a long, a long life friend. So Robert ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania Law School and then he went on to pass the New York State Bar Exam, very educated. He won a ton of awards. He was so smart. So in 2000, Robert moved to Washington, D.C., and he joined a firm focusing on commercial real estate and employment law. And in 2002, while attending a law conference, that's where he met a lady named Catherine, and they ended up falling in love, got into a relationship. Catherine lived in Chicago, and for months, Robert would fly out there every single weekend to spend time with her. And then after a year of dating, they got engaged and they got married. So then by 2006, Robert was 32 years old. He lived with his wife, Catherine, in Oakton, Virginia. And then on June 30th, Robert left his his current job. Yeah, and then he went to a new job and he took on the title of General Counsel for Radio Free Asia, which was an organization that broadcast news, pretty much giving information and commentary to people in East Asia. So Robert and his wife, they would commute 20 to 30 miles to um, their jobs in Washington, DC. So it was like a pretty long commute for both of them. So Robert decides that he wants to attend a law education course and it would be held late in the evening, which he didn't necessarily mind because obviously it's going to help him like better his career and whatnot. The downside of that, he would stay late he would commute home as soon as he got home he then would have to shower get ready for bed and then like six hours later wake up get ready for work commute to work stay there all day do the same thing over and over again so he figured it would be so much easier if I could just like crash out here in Washington DC um, maybe with a friend or something so then I wouldn't have to commute all the way back home and like, I'm just tired, I just wanna go to bed. You know, he was just wanting to crash somewhere because it made more sense versus commuting and all that stuff. Robert's wife agreed and she was like, yeah, you should. No, I'm sure it's not what she said. Yeah, you should. She agreed though, she understood. So originally Robert places a call to a female friend asking if um, he can stay at her place on the night of August 2nd, rather than commuting home after his long day. But she had to decline 
for some reason. I don't I don't know why. But she declined, which is totally fine. So Robert's kind of going through, like, down his list of, okay, who else can I hit up? Then Robert decides to hit up Joseph Price. Now, earlier I mentioned Robert had met Joseph when he was in college. Anyways, so he hits up Joseph because they're still like friends. Joseph lived in downtown Washington, D.C. So it was like close to his work. Ideally, like it'd be awesome if he could stay there. So Robert asks Joseph, can I crash at your place? Gives him the whole rundown. And Joseph, he agrees. And Robert sets his plans pretty much into motion. Robert tells his wife that on Wednesday, August 2nd, he will commute to Washington with her in the morning because they both commuted to Washington. And then she would go home like normal and he would attend that class at nighttime. Once the class was over, he was going to go to Joseph's house and stay the night there and then all of that. Robert's wife was down with the plan. She helped him pack a little uh, night bag. Now, Joseph lived in a townhouse not far from Robert's shop. So Joseph is a lawyer and a very prominent one. He mainly focuses on gay rights advocacy, his job working in intellectual property litigation, trademark and copyright disputes. So Joseph had lived in this townhouse with his domestic partner, Victor. They had been together for quite some time. They also had another guy living in this townhouse and his name was Dylan. Their relationship is kind of confusing, but they would describe it as just polyamorous. Um, they constantly refer to themselves as a family, but they all kind of had different relationships. I, I won't go too much into it because I feel like it could get really confusing and so polyamorous. Robert is friends with Joseph. Let's call him Joe. It's just gonna be easier. Joe has a partner named Victor. They've been together for like the longest amount of time. And then they added on the third guy and his name is Dylan. Got it? Okay, so Victor, he worked as a senior marketing manager for Milk like actual milk. Um, he worked as the marketing manager for the Milk Processors Education Program. So this group is responsible for the famous Got Milk campaigns. Do you remember those? So Victor's like low-key famous. What happened to those? Dylan, the third guy, graduated from a massage therapy school and he worked as a massage therapist. Victor and Joe, they shared the master bedroom while Dylan took a bedroom on the second story. This house is three stories high. So Dylan's on the second floor, Victor and Joe are on the top floor of the master bedroom. So Dylan and Joe had a sexual relationship, but I guess not with Victor. When asked about their relationship, Joe and Dylan, it's uh, referred to as being a dominant submissive sexual relationship with Dylan being the dominant. I guess Dylan was really into BDSM, some being tied up, some really freaky stuff, which we'll talk about later because they do think it's part of the story somehow. But like, I'm not trying to shame you if you're into that or anything, like do whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting anybody, like I'm not here to judge. And then guess what? Oh God, there's a fourth person who lives in the house. Her name's Sarah. Apparently she's friends with Victor, but luckily she was not there that night that everything went down. She told the family, the household, that she was gonna be gone for the night. Um, so she's not in this story, but I feel like I have to mention her because later on she is brought up. But for now, Sarah lives there, but she's not there. Let's forget Sarah. I think 
the best way to go through this is just like in the order the events happened. Um, most of the information didn't come out until after the murder took place. To avoid a lot of confusion, just gonna kind of go in order. August 2nd, Robert and his wife commute together to work just like planned. Robert's wife goes home, Robert stays behind and does his work training and whatnot. And then at 9.30 p.m., he calls his wife just to check in with her. At 10.24, Robert calls Joe. This call obviously isn't like recorded or anything, but based off of what Joe said is that Robert was just checking in, letting him know that he would be leaving shortly to grab a taxi and he would be over pretty soon from work to Joe's place. It only took eight minutes, so he was gonna be there. Um, when Joe was later interviewed, they asked him what he was doing at this time, and Joe said that all of the guys in the house, they had just finished dinner, they were cleaning up, and then he was cleaning up a mess from an overflowing shower. It was also said that Victor was up in his room and he was watching Project Runway and that Robert had arrived sometime between 10.30 and 10.40. Joe says when Robert arrived, Joe and Dylan were still up and they were in the kitchen and they're the ones who like welcomed Robert inside the house. So they all like stood in the kitchen and they had some small talk and they gave Robert a glass of water, just kind of lightly caught up. And then Robert expressed that, you know, he was really tired from his long ass day and that he just really wanted to go to bed and that he would definitely want to catch up with them in the morning. He was just super exhausted and wanted to knock out. When they all went up to their bedroom, Joe showed Robert where his bedroom was at, let him go into his bedroom, went back upstairs. Dylan went to his room, took his sleeping pill, started reading, knocked out, whatever. Dylan says he heard the shower start running, so he assumed that Robert was taking a shower and then he fell asleep. So at this point, it was about 11 o'clock at night, okay? He lays in bed and he starts watching TV, but Victor, the boyfriend, he asked Joe to turn off the TV because he just wanted to go to sleep and it was like distracting or it was too loud or something. And then they both just decided to go to bed, no TV. Fine. So then between 11.05 and 11.07, there were two emails that were drafted. One of the emails was written to Catherine, Robert's wife, saying that he made it to the home, gonna take a shower, and he was gonna go to bed and he would talk to her the next day. The second email was to a work colleague confirming the lunch appointment that they were both gonna have tomorrow, the next day. They were both drafted. They were never sent. They were just unsent. Suspicious. The townhouse that they all live in, it has an alarm system. The alarm system, of course, was not active that night. So somebody had turned it off. But even when it's not active, there's a door chime that goes off if the door, the front door, the back door is opened and closed. So, you know, the little beep beep when you walk in. Apparently the neighborhood that they lived in had a very high crime rate and like everybody had an alarm system. You would just be ridiculous to not turn your alarm system on. Victor and Joe are at, in their master bedroom. They're sleeping and they hear the toot toot. They said they didn't think twice about it because they thought, well, maybe Sarah, the other roommate, maybe she is just coming home early. That was their thought process. And then what occurs between 11.10 and 11.50, nobody really knows what the hell went on in that townhouse.
11.49 p.m., a 911 call is made by Victor, and he's frantic. The 911 operator asks what kind of services he needs, and he says he needs an ambulance. He states to the 911 dispatcher that he believes an intruder has entered the home and that their guest has been stabbed. If you listen to the 911 call, he does sound panic. He sounds like how a lot of us would probably sound if we're making this 911 call, which I pray none of us have to experience. So then the 911 dispatcher is telling him, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to put, or somebody needs to put a towel over Robert's wounds until the ambulance gets there and to apply firm pressure. She also informs Victor to switch the towel out if it becomes soaked with blood and to continue to do so until paramedics arrive. During the call, Victor is crying. He tells the operator that he's afraid to go downstairs to open the door for paramedics because he's unsure if the intruder is inside of the house. But the 911 operator asks like, are you applying pressure pretty much to the victim and you know, with a towel to stop the wound from bleeding? And Victor says that somebody's doing that. His partner, I believe, is doing that. Then at 11.54 p.m. is when the paramedics arrive. Victor's the one who opens up the door for them and he's wearing a white robe. And then he directs them to the second floor and just kind of tells them that way. Now, when paramedics go up the stairs, they run into Dylan and paramedics ask Dylan, where's the victim? And Dylan, also wearing a white robe, says nothing. He just points to the bedroom and then walks into his own bedroom and shuts the door. Paramedics later said that it was just a really strange encounter. Like there's apparently somebody stabbed and dying in this room. And instead of like, hey guys, he's this way. Dylan was just kind of like, and then goes to his bedroom. Like it was just weird. So then paramedics go into the bedroom where Robert's staying, right? And they find Robert on the fold-out bed, lying on his back, his head on a pillow, fluffed. I'm sorry for laughing, it's not funny. But like, it was just funny that in the description of the, the room, it was like, the pillow was fluffed. But it does make a difference because the pillow looked like it hadn't been like laid on. There was only one indentation of like his head as he was currently laying, which means like he wasn't there at all. You know, like the room was in perfect condition. There was not a sign of any type of struggle or anything. It looked like Rob was placed perfectly onto this pull-out mattress thing. Fluffed pillow, okay? His body was slightly at an angle and Rob was on top of the sheets of the bed and the bed underneath him was made perfectly. Like, you know when, some, when you go to like a, a hotel or a fancy place and the bed sheets are all tucked into the mattress and they like perfectly fold the blanket at a 45 degree angle with like the under sheet perfectly folded on top. Well, that's how this bed was. Like it was perfect condition. Rob had on a t-shirt and underwear and later Catherine, his wife would say, this is what he always wore to bed. So that's normal. He also had in his mouth guard. He was apparently like a teeth grinder and he, he would wear a mouth guard every night. So when paramedics walk in, they see Robert sitting on the bed like perfectly right. And then Joe is sitting like opposite of him on the bed. Paramedics, when they come into the, the room, they ask Joe what's going on, what happened, and Joe says, 
I just heard a scream and I ran downstairs. Joe, he moves out of the way so paramedics can work on Robert. And the paramedics, they find three slits on Robert's shirt. One seems to be like in Robert's abdomen area. There's one like directly in his heart and they just see like there's no sign of life. Now here is the really, really red flaggy, super suspicious thing. Okay, get ready for it. Paramedics would report that the crime scene was weird. Robert was stabbed three times, right? And in really major places, his abdomen, his heart, and I believe like on his side. I don't know if you know this, but if you get stabbed, there's gonna be a lot of blood, right? I think we can all agree, a lot of blood. When they walk in there, there is not a single ounce of blood anywhere in the room. No blood, no blood, nothing. If you're stabbed, there would be blood on the bed. There's no blood. Now, here's the even more suspicious part. There's blood on Robert's shirt, as there should be, he's been stabbed. But the blood that's on his shirt, why am I whispering? The blood that's on his shirt would look like somebody dipped their finger in blood and then like swiped it on there to make it look like a blood streak. Later it was tested and like proven that it just was a random swoosh to make it look like it was blood. Remember when the 911 dispatcher told Victor, apply pressure onto the wound with a towel and keep doing that until paramedics gets there. Victor said on the 911 call that yes, okay, Someone's doing that right now. They get this towel that was supposedly used to cover Robert's wound. This towel, it was like a little speck of blood that they supposedly used to cover the wound. It just didn't make sense. In Victor's defense, I will say that like in a moment of panic, I personally don't think, like I don't know how I would act and I hope I don't find out in that kind of situation. But I can sometimes understand when like somebody's story changes because in a moment of panic, you're not fully thinking straight. Like you're just not there. So it's like when people's stories change and stuff, I like, I kind of understand. So then the paramedics put Robert onto the stretcher and they carry him out to the ambulance. They take him to the hospital. The paramedics guy, he was questioned by investigators later on. And he said that the three men appeared to be freshly showered and acting very calm when he came to the house. Weird because normally when he goes to a home or a crime scene, you know, people are acting very frantic. Of course, he said like, Everybody acts differently in a moment of panic, but the whole thing was just kind of, it was just really strange that they were all acting calmly. And then Victor, the one who called 911, he sounded super frantic and like he was crying on the 911 call. But the paramedics guy said that when he got there, Victor appeared to just kind of be like concerned, but not necessarily how he was acting on the 911 call. So the EMT guy, he would later say that it appeared Robert, it almost seemed like he had been freshly showered because of the lack of blood, because of how clean he was. I mean, he just got stabbed, where's the blood? Also, according to crime scene investigators, it appeared that everything in the house seemed untouched. There didn't look to be a sign of struggle at all. Robert had two wallets. They were both filled with cash. He had those out. He had his mouth guard case 
and a watch, also his Blackberry. So if somebody broke into the house and was trying to rob him, I mean, they would take that stuff. Also, the knife seemed to have come from their own kitchen area. Sadly, Robert was pronounced dead on August 3rd at like 12.30 in the morning. They could not revive him. When all the guys were being questioned, they all had very consistent stories and like none of them seemed to mess up. According to Dylan Joe and Victor. Dylan and Joe led Robert to the second floor guest room where they helped Robert pull out and set up his bed. Joe and Victor say that after they heard the door chime, um, that they also heard weird noises. They would go on to describe that the weird noises was like a low scream, like a muffled scream. And then that caused them to both get up out of bed and go downstairs to investigate. They both said that they ran down to the second floor and then they heard another like muffled scream. And then they ran towards Robert's room. Victor and Joe say that's when they go into Robert's room and they see him wounded. Dylan said that the screaming and all the ruckus is what woke him up and he opened the door to see like what was going on. And then Joe says upon checking Robert, he found the boning knife from the kitchen, which was laying on Robert's stomach. He moved the boning knife from Robert's stomach and put it onto the, the nightstand area. Joe says he lifted up Rob's shirt or Robert's shirt and that's when he sees like all the stab wounds and the blood and it was just all over his chest. So then the EMT also said that the stab wounds were big enough to fit like three fingers in. They were big wounds. There was obviously a lack of blood evidence in the room, a few small stains on the sheets and pillow. Police would report no evidence of forced entry into the home and that no items had been stolen out of the home. Police bring cadaver dogs in. Now these dogs are trained to alert the police officers if they find blood or like um, even bodies and stuff like that. So the cadaver dogs alert the police officers to blood that was they seem to sense on the rear stairwell, also a drain and the dryer. So the dog alerts them and to the naked eye, they don't see any blood and stuff, but they're like, okay, take note of this. We'll investigate later. So the whole scene is just weird, right? Okay, we're, we all agree on that. All the guys stand by, nobody in the house is responsible for this. They all stick to their stories about sleeping and being in bed and hearing the muffled scream, whatever. Joe ended up being interrogated by police for about six hours. Victor was in there for about eight hours and then Dylan was in there for almost 12 hours. During the interrogation, Joe is reported to be arrogant, unconcerned, aggressive, and self-centered. Vic, Victor, he was initially tearful and then he became passive and unmotivated to help the investigation. And then Dylan is apparently just unmoved, detached, and calm. Like he doesn't give two shits. He's just like, yeah. I'm here. So then after leaving the police station, all three men got legal counsel and they stick with their story that Robert had to have been killed by an intruder. And I'm not, I don't like think that's necessarily suspicious. I think if you're ever arrested for something, you should get legal counsel because it's just what you should do. You just don't know if something's gonna get pinned on you. Like I couldn't imagine being interrogated for 12 hours. 
I'd probably come out saying some shit I didn't do. Like you just don't know. For these guys though, they shouldn't have, but they knew. Then an autopsy was done on Robert. There was a lot going on with Robert, the lady who did the autopsy. According to her examination, she found two broken capillaries in Robert's right eye and his left eyelid. Now these happen when, when somebody's fighting for air, such as like suffocation, being choked, strangulation examiner did state that asphyxia seemed to be involved in this but it's not necessarily what caused him to die but the weird thing is that the stab wounds were perfect slit like defects both clean and symmetrical which is so uncommon when you're stabbed. When you're being stabbed, most likely you're going to like move and try and fight back. So the stab wounds tend to be like jagged and kind of just not clean because you're moving and trying to get away and like fighting back. So it was really strange that the cuts were super perfect and symmetrical. Each wound was four to five inches deep. There were absolutely no defense wounds on his body. And after swabbing his mouth, genital area and his anus, she found the examiner evidence of semen in his anus and his own genitals so they found semen and i was like okay cool not cool but like cool this is gonna help pinpoint whoever murdered him nay nay i say you see they sent the dna for testing and it turns out it was robert's own semen which makes sense when it's on your 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 lower region, okay, it makes sense that the semen's there, but how did his own semen get into his back area, his anus? The whole thing is weird, right? What the F is going on? The medical examiner found six needle marks throughout his body, some on his chest, his right foot, left hand, and left side of his neck. Toxicology was done on Robert, but the problem with that is you have to be looking for a specific drug in order to find it. So when they do toxicology, they look for basic stuff like alcohol, cocaine, opiates, anything like over the counter. There isn't a single test that can be done that will find any type of drug. When the test came back, they all came back negative. So that was weird. Like what were those needle marks then, right? I can't remember what I was watching, but I was just watching watching something where a girl had needle marks in her and it was a certain kind of drug that like leaves your system within a couple of hours. Watching this whole documentary about it and yeah, it leaves in a couple of hours and there's like no way to trace it. They're getting crazy with these date rape drugs, y'all. You need to be careful. Did I just say y'all? Case gets even more weird, you ready? So you know the knife that was found? Guess what? It was later determined that the knife that was found next to Robert's body wasn't even the knife that was used on Robert. The knife that was found next to Robert's body, it didn't line up with the stab wounds that Robert already had. On the knife, there were no fibers found on the blade. So if you get stabbed or somebody gets, I don't know why I always use like you as an example or me. So if somebody gets stabbed on the knife, 
the blood swipes on the knife should line up and be consistent with being stabbed. The fibers from the clothing you're wearing, if you are wearing clothing, there are gonna be tiny, tiny fibers left on the actual knife itself, and then that should line up. There were no t-shirt fibers found, but guess what? There were tiny fibers found on this blade that lined up with the towel that had blood on it in the bedroom. So what they think happened is the blood that was placed in the room, what they did was whoever did this, they got some blood from Robert's body and then they swiped it on the knife to make it look like it was the murder weapon. The guys aren't talking anymore. They all have an attorney, but they do get a warrant to search the home. They take out any evidence or anything they could use to hopefully piece this together. They come across some weird stuff and it's a lot of like sexual things that are used like um, when you're having sex. I don't know because I honestly had never heard of these items until I was reading about this case. I didn't know this was the thing, but it is. And not judging if you have one, live your life. But they think that this is could come into play. So one thing they found was, and I'm reading my notes because honestly, I need help with this one. So one item they found was known as a milking machine. Now this is used to force someone to ejaculate. Some people believe that this is what was used on Robert. That's where the semen came from. They also found books such as erotic bondage handbook and juice electricity for pain and pleasure. They also found a three-piece culinary set which was missing one of the knives. Mm -hmm. There's so many layers to this. They also found metal probes and an electrical shockwave generator. Okay, so years go by and nothing happens. So like this happened in 2006 and nothing happens until 2008. They end up selling the place in 2008 and they all leave the townhome. October of 2008, Dylan, he ended up getting charged with obstruction of justice. The next month in November, Joe and Victor were arrested and also charged with obstruction of justice. Catherine, Robert's uh, wife, she filed a 20 million dollar civil suit against the men but all three men would end up being released well they were trying to charge them with obstruction of justice because they obviously like cleaned up the crime scene they cleaned him up they were hiding stuff and then they all got out and the December 19th 2008 all three men were were charged with conspiracy. An affidavit filed by authorities against Dylan stated that the men were not telling the truth about what happened that night. The judge ended up finding all three of the men not guilty. And it's super frustrating at first, but at the same time, I can understand, hear me out. But she goes on to say that there's just like no evidence to prove this. Like from us standing back, judging, it's like, yeah, there is. They obviously know something, like, come on. From the legal standpoint, there's like, there's nothing. There's no fingerprints. There's no blood on anyone's clothes. There's no trace of them hiding something. There's no weapon found anywhere, but there's no drugs found anywhere. Like there's literally nothing pointing back to the guys, you know? This judge goes on to say that she believes they know what happened and they know a lot more than what they're, they're saying, but she can't charge them on this because there's just no proof. 
There have been no charges placed for Robert's murder. The three guys in the house stand by the fact that they believe somebody broke into the house. They stabbed Robert. They ran out, whoever they were. That's what they stand by. There are so many theories on this case. It's overwhelming. So all the guys in the house, they swear that an intruder came in and killed him. Police believe that Vic was upstairs at the very top sleeping, watching Project Runway or whatever, but that Dylan and Joe wanted to engage in sexual activity with Robert and maybe perhaps Robert declined and it made them upset. So then they strangled him. They gave him some kind of drug that like paralyzed him so he couldn't move. And then they performed with that like electric milking machine they put it on him and then stabbed him so they think there was some kind of like sex play happening now even in police interrogations Catherine Robert's wife would say that like there's he wasn't like a homophobic or anything like that by any means Joe would say that Robert was very respectful he was straight as can be he was not interested in men whatsoever and they he respected that, Joe respected that. Robert wasn't disrespectful or anything like that. I wrote down what I think. <laughs> I don't have like a theory as to what happened. It's mainly just me pointing out what the fuck. If somebody broke into the house, this intruder, and the door chimes, boop, boop. When you walk in, somebody walks in. They say, everybody says in the house that they heard it. How come nobody heard the boop, boop when the intruder left the house? Nobody reports that the doors were open anywhere. So there should have been a boop, boop, boop when somebody left the house. Nobody reports hearing that. My second question is, if there was an intruder that came in to kill Robert, why the F didn't this intruder take anything? There was plenty of stuff to be stolen that night. Also, why would they go in just to kill Robert? I'm about to get a little bit confusing again. I apologize. When you go into this this house, you go up the stairs and directly like in front of the staircase is a door and that's Dylan's room. And then you go past that down like the hallway a little bit, there's another door and that's where Robert was staying. So if there was an intruder that came into the house, went up the stairs, why wouldn't this intruder just go directly into Dylan's room? Cause it was right there. Why would this intruder be like, nah, not this door. I'm gonna go down here and then go down and go to Robert's room. Let's just say that they are right and there was an intruder that came to kill Robert. It would have to be somebody that knew Robert was there in the first place. The only person who knew Robert was there was his wife and the guys in the house, reportedly. They did like a background check on Robert to determine if anybody maybe didn't like him, wanted him dead, anything, and they couldn't find anything. It just makes you think, okay, it would have to be somebody who wanted him dead because they went specifically to his room, killed him, and then got the F out of there. The boys upstairs in the master bedroom, they said that they heard a scream, right? Like a muffled scream. They didn't know like where the scream came from, but they went, they got up to investigate. So why did they run directly to Robert's room? Because none of them say like, I heard a scream coming from Robert's room. Let's say they just maybe felt like, let's check Robert's room. So they check Robert's room and they see that he's stabbed. How come nobody ran to check on Dylan to make sure he wasn't stabbed too? I mean, oh my God, an intruder just came in and stabbed my friend. I gotta go check to make sure my other 
lover isn't stabbed. Nobody checked on Dylan. So like, that's kind of weird. So if there was an intruder, why the F didn't they kill Dylan too? And steal money and steal everything. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And where was the boop boop? And like everything happened in such a quick time frame. Like let's say they did have some kind of sexual relationship going with Robert. It all seemed to happen so quick, like 45 minutes to clean up a whole crime scene is weird. Do you think maybe he was stabbed in the shower? But why did they want to stab him? What was the motive? Man, there are so many unanswered questions. <sighs> I'm very worked up. Anyways, I hope you have a really good day today. You make good choices. Be safe out there and try and solve this mystery yet. Why do they call it a milking machine? Oh, I get it.